People are yearning for information. Having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. We are excited to welcome Paul Allen to HealthGig today. Paul is an entrepreneur at least seven times over. And what we want you to know about Paul is that these words are important. Learner, input, ideation, intellection, and strategic. And we'll explain that later. And the number eight is important in his life. Welcome, Paul. We're so happy you're here in the studio with us. And maybe we should start with why eight is important and tell us a little bit about yourself and your family. Well, thank you, Doro and Tricia. It is such an honor to be here with you in the studio. The eight number is important, I think, because there were eight kids in my family growing up. And I was the fifth of eight. I married a wonderful woman, Christy Lambert. She was the fifth of eight kids in her family. And we went on to have eight kids. And I've now started eight companies. So I guess from a family and work perspective, eight has become a very important number in our life. Okay, that's amazing. To have a number that you get to like identify with. Dora, do you have a number you identify with? No. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of want one. <laughs> well, four. Four. Oh, then I have four. You? Yeah. I have four children. Okay. Oh, and I was the fourth child in family of five. You were? I was fifth. Yeah, okay. Okay. Fifth. You were fifth. Uh-huh. What a great number. We can fifth. connect over that. Yes, we're we fifth. can. Sure. My son, who's the fifth of eight kids, thinks he's the most special because <laughs> his mom and dad were both fifth of eight. Yeah. That makes sense. Way to go, Caleb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're an entrepreneur. You've started many businesses. Tell us how that came about. So I'm totally an accidental entrepreneur. My father was a professor in manufacturing technology for 35 years. My mom was an educator. She taught elementary school and studied elementary education. And so I grew up with love of books and love of learning. And I actually thought the only true calling in life was to be a teacher or professor. So I started in that track of going to college. You know, I had a scholarship. Every class I took, I wanted to change majors to that subject because I love learning more than I can even possibly describe it. But I thought that my end journey would be to be a Russian professor, a Sovietologist. Back in the 80s, when I was a Russian major at Brigham Young University, you kind of worked for the government and, you know, studied the Soviet Union and the communist system and the Politburo. So that's the path that I was on. And I even interviewed after graduation for jobs in the government. My brother was kind enough. When I had got married in March of 88, I'd never had a job before. Excuse me, 88? March of 88. Is that funny? You just eight again. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Double eight. Oh, my gosh. That Did anybody else I, not catch that? <laughs> I, I totally never. Okay, that's I funny. I thought of that? Uh, no, I had not thought of that. Okay. Trisha, you've just made my day. Okay. So, yeah, my wife and I were married in 88. <laughs> Double eight. And so um, I'd never had a job before because I was like a professional student getting paid to go to school. My brother ran a company that was a search engine company retrieving, you know, millions of pages of text with keystrokes. This was eight or 10 years before Google was invented. And he gave me a job as a scanner. That's like running a photocopy machine, you know, four hours a day or eight hours a day. I had no skills, but I ran the scanner. I got really good at it. And then about six months into that part-time job, someone taught me how to program. I learned how to program in basic, the computer language. And from that point on, I realized how much I love data and information on computer and providing all the world's best information at your fingertips 
kind of became a mission. And so two years after starting at Folio, I started my first company, which was called Infobases. And our mission was to digitize all the best books ever written in every field of human knowledge and make them accessible on CD-ROM so that people could have these incredible libraries in their home. But from that point on, I fell in love with entrepreneurship and building companies. And I have never gone back for a master's or a PhD. And I'm like, Someday, I feel like I should get a PhD. Yeah, because um, you're a learner is your number one I'm strength. a learner. I'm a learner, and I love to teach. So input is my number two, and you love to collect and gather information and share it with others. So learner input is a classic combination for a lot of people in education, and I really do fit nicely in that arena, and I love being around teachers and learners and authors. And this is what you're doing with your podcast and your conferences is you're assembling all these incredible thinkers and mm -hmm. discoverers, and you're helping them share what they've learned about health and wellness, which is awesome. Do all your ventures have a positive mission? Almost all the companies had a very important mission to either provide information and learning or to connect and strengthen families or to help people discover their heritage. When I left Ancestry, we had learned how to do internet marketing at Ancestry. We tested low cost, no cost, and very expensive forms of internet marketing. And I documented 197 tactics for helping a website get more traffic to their website and to get more revenue. So I started an internet marketing agency and I realized after a year, I didn't enjoy that at all because it was not really mission driven. It was, hey, whoever wants us to help them sell their product on the Internet, we will help them, you know, double their price, double their traffic, double their revenue. But it wasn't mission driven. And I realized after about a year, I burnt out. And so my other companies have all been very mission driven, like they have to accomplish some social good in the world while you're building a company at the same time. I mean, when I know you, I think of Ancestry.com. Is that how you think about it? Clearly, being fortunate enough to be at the beginning of the Internet and being the first real successful company to put genealogy and family trees on the Internet. And that was super mission driven. But I look at it as my greatest success in life so far, but also my greatest failure. That's a long story, but when we went to Silicon Valley to try to raise investment dollars for Ancestry.com, literally no one wanted to invest. It was like genealogy, archives, courthouses, graveyards. Like Think of who the venture capitalists were in the 90s, mostly young white males that are very driven to make money. The last thing they have any personal interest in is ancestry. And so there was zero interest. And we were kind of frustrated about that. Like, wait, this is actually going to be a really big, you know, 7% of adult Americans want to spend time and money researching their family trees. And those of us who have family trees find incredible value and fulfillment in understanding our connection to the past. And yet the investor community wasn't interested. So I actually had a dream one night that we built websites for families, living families, where you could share photos and connect with your relatives all across the world with your living relatives. And as soon as we started sharing that concept, we launched a website called myfamily.com. It was a free site for anyone in the world to set up a photo sharing site for their family. You could share recipes with your sisters or your brothers or your cousins. You could chat with relatives all around the world over the internet, voice chat for free. This became the fastest growing community site of all time. So that was a huge success, right? And that's why we raised $75 million because investors all wanted to participate in connecting families through the internet. But then when the dot-com bubble burst, Ancestry was making a ton of revenue. My family wasn't making revenue yet, not very much. 
And so our investors decided to basically sideline it, and then it later got shut down. So while I think about Ancestry's mission is incredible, you know, tens of millions of people have learned about their family ties, the chance to connect living family members to each other and strengthen family ties, it disappeared. But you said that that's where you've learned so many lessons, that really that's kind of what's formed you now to what you're doing now, which we can't wait to talk about. Well, I heard one of your guests say, David Rubenstein, that you learn so much more from failure and that almost no one can succeed without significant failure along the way. So that really resonated with me. Those huge setbacks, those moments of like crisis and like angst and what went wrong. And then that kind of prepares you for your next thing and like immunizes you against certain failures in the future. So I'm really happy for everything that happened. I never would have found Gallup or StrengthsFinder if I had been enormously successful with Ancestry. That's, that's what we were talking about. It, always that question, like, if this had happened, this wouldn't have happened. And in that case, gee, we wouldn't probably have met you. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> right. I wouldn't have come to D.C. No. in December and met you there no. and then in New York. You actually look back and you think, I'm glad that things kind of fell apart the way they did. Look at how rich my life is now. The Gallup team, the Gallup books, the Gallup experts, you know, meeting the Clifton family. Yeah, tell us all about us, just so everybody knows. It changed the way Dora and I look at things. I mean, we went right away, took our test. We brought our strength finders with us so we could have you the You want a free coaching session. Yeah, exactly. Yes, okay. But we want you to tell everybody about yeah. it. And then we really want to dig into SOAR. I actually think that StrengthsFinder and the philosophy that underlies it is probably the most positive thing in the world today to help human beings live their full potential, see each other through the lens of what's right. Let me just give you a Sigmund Freud quote just to give you a historical setting for why Don Clifton showed up in 1952 as a psychologist, as a graduate student in psychology. And he asked a very different question than Sigmund Freud and the basis of most psychology up until then. So here's what Freud said in one of his books. Mm -hmm. I have found little that is good about human beings in the whole. In my experience, most of them are trash, no matter whether they publicly subscribe to this or that ethical doctrine or to none at all. That is something you cannot say out loud or perhaps even think. If Freud viewed most humans as trash, and if psychology, Freudian psychology, you psychoanalyze someone and you're listening to clues for what's wrong, if you forget someone's name, Freud said you had a deep-seated hatred of that person that we need to expose and uncover. Oh, that would be terrible. I know. I forget people's <laughs> names a lot. And I'm like, oh, I really oh like God. this person. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but if you look for what's wrong, if you're focused on significantly harmful things, you're going to find it. And if you don't see it, you're going to make it up. And what does that do to you? If we have a negative outlook on life, it only harms ourselves. Totally. And so Don Clifton in 1952, as a graduate student in psychology, said, wait, all the books in psychology are largely about what's wrong with people. And even today, I mean, there's a need for clinical diagnoses. I have a brother who has schizophrenia. And so thankfully, there are clinicians and medications that have been developed to help him try to live a decent life. But for the most part, people can thrive. Mm Mm-hmm. Only if you find out what their talents and capabilities and gifts are, and if you look for what's right with each person. So Don asked the simple question, what would happen if we studied what's right with people instead of what's wrong? And then he spent 50 years interviewing highly successful people in hundreds of occupations, and he would listen for clues to their talent, listen for clues to their positive motivations, listen to their successes, and he developed all of his theories about human potential and human development by studying what's right. 
And so he, in his book, Soar With Your Strengths in 1992, he said, Freud studied sick people and thereby came up with his theories. And Don did the opposite. He's like the anti-Freud. That's so amazing. We recently interviewed Richie Davidson, who is from the Center for Healthy Minds out at the University of Wisconsin. He's a neuroscientist. And so parallel to what you're talking about, the Dalai Lama tasked him with studying the positive qualities of the mind. Everybody else had been studying the depression and anxiety. And the Dalai Lama tasked him with a new approach, the similar approach. Mm. And it's just so much better. Isn't it wonderful? Yeah. Because when you look for great things or good things or uplifting, positive things, you can find them and then you can build on them and you can comment on them. And the more you point them out, the more they develop and the more they develop, the more they return to other people. So yeah, living in your area of strengths where your gifts lie is the best way to feel flourishing and fulfilled yourself and the best way to serve humanity as well in your community, your family, everyone. When we were talking with you, you used the word uplift. I want to uplift humanity. That seems to be really important to you and part of SOAR. I was introduced to StrengthsFinder and the whole Clifton family and the Gallup science of studying humans and leaders and managers and employees in 2002. And I was just caught up in this movement. Tens of thousands of people have been trained by Don Clifton and his researchers and his coaches and trainers. Every time I met with these individuals, I'm like, you guys are the most incredible human beings I've been around. They're not like competitive cutthroat business people. They're not like toxic political and infighting. They're actually trying to help individuals one at a time to reach their full potential. And they use this lens of strengths, this language of strengths, these tools, and it does transform how you see yourself. And then it transforms how you see other people. And all of a sudden you see admiration growing and respect growing, teamwork increasing, and all these positive outcomes simply because you're focusing on what's right. I was honored one time by a very long-standing uh, genealogical society as the father of online genealogy. And I was like, wow, what a compliment. I think that's largely true. I think I did make a contribution there. But someone asked me on an interview once, are you the father of strength psychology? I'm like, no, like I'm a total latecomer to this. This is my one of my biggest regrets is that I didn't encounter Don Clifton's work and StrengthsFinder during the seven companies that I started. I blew it. I didn't have a tool. I didn't have a language. I didn't have a culture that enabled humans to really grow and thrive. We did business the way most businesses do business. We were focused on revenue and growth and technology and marketing. Very little focus on individuals and their journey as an employee and their personal growth and development and how that translates to their family life. And so I kind of missed out on building a company with a great culture because I just didn't understand it. The uplift humanity is really caused by watching the mission of thousands and thousands of people who are devoting their life to helping individuals grow and develop. I think uplift humanity is a nice tagline for encompassing what we're all about. And when people are valued, they do so much better, which is so great. And so talk to us about coaching. Coaching is also something that's very new to me. And in the 90s, I think large corporations and startup companies started to embrace the idea of executive coaching. And coaching is only decades old as a profession. Therapy and counseling is much, much older. And so if you look on Google, how many people are searching for a therapist or a counselor, it's actually very high because everyone knows that if you have relationship issues or problems in your life, you can call a therapist or a counselor. Coaching is not as well known yet. 
and I think it will change over the years. Eric Schmidt from Google said that everybody needs a coach. And there's a famous coach from Silicon Valley, and there's a book that's been written about him and the huge impact he had on so many executives and leaders. And so coaching is starting to take off. And when a coach has an instrument like StrengthsFinder, or which is now called Clifton Strengths in honor of Don Clifton, the inventor, when a coach uses that instrument and they're looking at you through the lens of, hey, Tricia, what are your greatest talents? Tell me stories of when you've used those. Describe your best day. Which of those strengths were you using during that best day? When do you experience flow state? And which strengths do you get caught up in using and like time just passes and you're just experiencing peak performance because you're in that zone of your strengths? So a coach can help you with that. Coaches also help with performance and accountability, but they do it in a different way. It's not negative. It's not a performance review where you have anxiety and you're so defensive because you're being attacked. The ratio of positive comments to negative in marriage relationships, according to John Gottman's research, and also in business, according to other researches, should be five positives to one constructive criticism. But most of us probably get 10 or 20 negatives mm -hmm. for every positive. And so instead of growing and thriving, we're wilting and we feel horrible. And so we can't wait to get out of work and leave. Coaching can dramatically increase individual performance and team performance and help people to become the best version of themselves. Now, coaching without leadership support is not really that effective. So cultures where leaders and managers and employees all embrace the positive psychology, the strength psychology, and the coaching, we've seen incredible outcomes, just really mind-blowing outcomes. And we just wish this would spread to every workplace and every school. And you were with Gallup for seven years? Five years. Five years. And then decided to come and do what you're doing now? Yeah. So SOAR is in partnership with Gallup. We're organizing uh, thousands of strengths coaches all over the world to help them find more clients. We'll be selling the strengths assessment on the website, and then we'll be building tools that allow people to use their strengths every day of their life and to remember the strengths of their sister-in-laws, to remember the strengths <laughs> of their kids. Right to have like voice coaching and mobile apps that will kind of remind you just before you talk to someone, hey, remember this person, this is their strength, ask them this question and hey, you'll have a wonderful encounter with that person. You'll help that team perform better if you remember what their strengths are. Paul, oh, would you mind sharing your strengths? Peter Drucker once said that if you ask an American what their strengths are, most of them look at you with a blank stare or they right. answer in terms of subject knowledge or expertise, which he says is the wrong answer. Don Clifton's vocabulary really gives us all this range of like learner input. Mm -hmm. Who would have told me in ninth or 10th grade that, hey, Paul, you have input. Nobody knows that's a talent. But Don observed that that talent is a very powerful contributor to a team or a company. So for me, input is collecting, gathering, and then sharing what I learn with others. So my top six, learner, input, ideation, intellection, strategic, and analytical, are all in the domain that the Gallup scientists call strategic thinking domain. Mm -hmm. My first relationship strength is my 17th. And so when I first heard that, I'm like, I have not got the ability to form relationships. That's kind of what you naturally think. Yeah. And my coach said to me, or Paul, you form relationships around ideas all the time. I've mm. watched you for the last two days. You use the strengths you have to form the relationships you want to have. Mm. And I'm like, okay, so don't take these domains of thinking domains or executing or influencing or relationship and say that if I don't have one of those, then I can't execute or I can't influence. Because the fact is all of us can do all four of those things. We can think and plan, we can influence others, we can build relationships, and we can get stuff done. 
We just do it through our combination of our strengths. So my favorite strength of all is ideation. I love brainstorming meetings. I mm -hmm. don't like almost any other kind of meetings, like routine meetings, consistent meetings, or execution operation issues. Like, mm -hmm. it's very boring for me. Right. It, Trisha, she's are pointing you, at Trisha. Are you ideation? No, and I'm looking because at this and I'm like, Dog You like on that it. too. You know, each of us have these things that we bring. Mm -hmm. And after seven years, both at Gallup and then afterwards, I had memorized each of the 34 strengths mm -hmm. or strength themes has a need. You know how Popeye had a super strength, but he had to have spinach in order to unlock that strength. There's actually 34 different spinaches that if you have connectedness or if you have communication, you have to have the need met in order to use that strength. And so that means that people around you and the job expectation that you have needs to be aware of that need. Well, after seven years of studying and memorizing all these need statements, I was driving to Boise a couple of weeks ago and I realized that the word itself tells you what you need. Learners need to learn. Wooers need to woo. Connectedness needs to connect. Oh, Command needs to command. Do you have woo? Yeah, I do. You have woo? <laughs> yeah, I do. Winning others over. Uh, Wooers need to woo. You need to meet new people on a regular basis because you get energy from meeting a stranger and turning them into a friend. you. Mm -hmm. I knew an accountant that was woo, and they were in a cubicle at the end of the office, and they would get in trouble all the time because they would walk around and wander and talk to all their coworkers. <laughs> but the coach and the manager realized that that accountant had woo. They need variability in their social life. And so they moved that person's office to the front entryway. So then as every new person walked in the doors, that person had a chance to interact with them. And that satisfied the person's woo. He did a great job as an accountant <laughs> and he no longer distracted the rest of the employees. So That's little so things like that that adjust our workplaces to who we are is a really powerful way to get the best out of everybody. That's so brilliant. Trisha, tell Paul your strengths. I wanted to start with yours because yours are so good. <laughs> no. Number one, empathy. Well, I mean, that I don't know if that's best. good. It is but... good. My wife's number one is empathy and my mother's number one was empathy. Oh. My top five are empathy, harmony, restorative, includer, and adaptability. So empathy means that you need to have experiences every day where you can empathize with other people. Harmony, you can actually bring harmony to tough situations or a crisis or a misunderstanding. You kind of become the bridge for people because you want all voices heard. You want all people appreciated. Restorative, my wife has empathy and restorative as her number one and number two, and you have it number one and number three. Restoratives need to restore things. You need to find problems and solve them. You need to fix things. Mm -hmm. You get pleasure in taking something that might seem broken mm -hmm. and turn it into something that is more whole by focusing your attention on fixing the wellness crisis, like the satisfaction you personally derive from taking something that's broken. It could be the healthcare system or it could be individual health. Restoring that is going to drive you and motivate you. And you're going to do it better than most people because you are driven by that restorative talent. It's really true about you. Includers need to include everybody. Right. Includers are not in favor of clicks. They're right. not in favor of mm -hmm. anyone being excluded. Oh, and adaptability. You need to adapt. So I have a daughter. She has three little kids now, and she has adaptability. Her husband has adaptability, too, which is fun. She said to me and my wife, my favorite thing is to make a plan for the day. Like, okay, kids, we're going to go here, here, and here. And then the plans go awry, and so I have to call an audible. She thrives when something goes not as planned because she then can just easily, like, who moved my cheese doesn't bother hers. Like, okay, things didn't go as planned. Good. I can now adapt on the fly, and I thrive in that circumstance. Yeah, I think I'm good at that. Oh, very good. I mean, it's amazing how that really is you. So mine are 
achiever, responsibility, activator, positivity, and relater. Oh my gosh. Okay. Those are cool. So achiever responsibility, like people like me that are thinkers, we have to partner with people like you that are doers. Achiever responsibility combination, not only do you work super hard and you get a lot of things done, but you don't want to ever let anyone down. You need to be responsible for things and you are responsible to other people. I have a couple of daughters with responsibility and the last thing they ever want to do is disappoint anyone. Now it can be a little bit hard sometimes because you carry a burden of so many responsibilities. You have to be thoughtful about which responsibilities you're going to volunteer for. Because when you have achiever and responsibility, everyone will come to you because you mm-hmm. get so much stuff done. They'll just keep piling it on. Trisha's nodding her head like, <laughs> yeah, so this has been my Trisha. experience. So and there's true. that phrase that says, if you want something done, find the busiest person and they'll do it. Well, those busy people probably have achiever and responsibility. Mm-hmm. Positivity. I actually wish every person in the world could go to work every day with someone who has positivity. Yes. It is a beautiful, uplifting, energizing theme that we just need more of it. And so thank you for having it. You know, uh, thank I don't know you, where Trisha. it came from. I thought you too had it. You know, I, I'm <laughs> saying thank you because I work with Trisha and she is so positive and uplifting and it's contagious. So I have a friend who was a college volleyball player and she tells me she has positivity number one. Anytime I've ever been in a meeting with Diana, she's like the light of the room and smiling Mm -hmm. and happy all the time. Her volleyball coach in college said to her, you know, Diana, you're not that skilled of a player. But the reason (laughs) I put you on the court is you make everybody better. And then relater would be? Your relater needs to relate, and particularly with some close friendships. You like one-on-one time. You like deep, authentic relationships. And you get a lot of energy from the same relationships deepening over a long period of time. Woo is more about social variability, like I'm going to go meet 10 or 20 people and I can shake hands with 100 people and get energy from interacting with. Relators are more close, deep, authentic relationships that fuel you. So having you know the same friends or the same people that you spend a lot of time with is very energizing to you. Thank you for that coaching. <laughs> and I'll have to say on SOAR.com, there are like 2,000 coaches better than me. I'm not really a coach. I'm really more of a promoter. I want to take a megaphone and say, look, 20 million people know their Clifton Strengths results. Why don't a billion people know it? Why doesn't every school-age child start being told what their talents and strengths yes. are? What about every college student? You know, there's one public university that released a study that said that the dropout rate for freshmen going into their sophomore year was cut in half when the freshmen took StrengthsFinder and had coaching. Half the dropout rate. Because Mm. here's a college freshman. They're going away from home for the first time. They're kind of on their own. Like There's all that angst. There's all these classes and requirements, and then you've got roommates and things like that. For a college to provide freshmen with a deep look at what their strengths are can help them not only navigate their academic and career choices, but also their relationships. And all of a sudden, you can reduce dropout rates by half. Why wouldn't every college president and university president in the world say, we need to bring strengths into the freshman class? And, Mm -hmm. And so I'm really more of a promoter than a coach because I believe in this so strongly. And the evidence I've seen and heard for seven years now tells me that it's like water on a parched desert. Humanity is kind of starved. And there's a lot of 24-7 social media toxicity. You're kind of addressing that in a lot of your conferences and podcasts. It's like, how do we unplug from the negative? Hmm. Well, one nice thing is to give a big dose of positive, an authentic close-up look at your natural talents, your innate patterns of thinking, feeling, and behaving that can be productively applied, that can help you live a thriving life. 
go to store.com and find a yes. strengths coach to help you and your family or you and your team unpack your potential. Can you walk us through SOAR? Why does somebody come to this site? How does it work? It's only a few months old. So I tell people that it took Ancestry two or three years to really build a fully functioning genealogy search engine, family tree builder, hint engine that would really provide a phenomenal journey for anyone starting their family tree. Well, SOAR is about eight months in or nine months into having our website, but we've had 2,000 coaches join the website. Soon we'll be offering assessments that coaches can provide their clients, and then we'll build software for individuals, families, teams, faith groups, so that all of us can be celebrating each other's strengths on a regular basis. We want to weave the strengths language and the tool into everyday life and into every workplace and into every school. SOAR right now is attracting coaches. One of the fun things for me being at Gallup for several years is that they hire some of the smartest people in the world to help them devise questions that they should ask the entire world. And I have a book here called Well-Being, The Five Essential Elements. And this is by Tom Rath, who also was the author of StrengthsFinder 2.0. He was the co-author of How Full Is Your Bucket with his grandfather, Don Clifton. So Tom Rath is Don Clifton's grandson. And Gallup studies well-being on a global scale. Every year, they do a worldwide statistical sampling on most countries of the world to find out how many people are thriving in all five areas of well-being, how many people are struggling, and how many people are suffering. Mm. And they can give you population-level data so that, like Zimbabwe, almost 50% of the population is suffering. But in Denmark and Norway, some of these Nordic countries, there's a very high percentage of people that are thriving. Now, the five areas of well-being that Gallup studies are your career or your purpose, like what you do with your life. The other two areas that are very commonly known are financial well-being and health and wellness. So they study that. They ask people, did you have enough energy today to do what you wanted to do? Have you been sick? And all those questions that they ask. But then the two other areas are social well-being, mm -hmm. your relationships with family, friends, coworkers, and then community well-being, where you live. Do you feel connected? Are you serving in the community? Do you feel safe at night? Are you friends with your neighbors? Those kinds of things. And Gallup studies these globally. They help fuel the UN Happiness Index. Mm. So Gallup, as a worldwide polling leader, is providing data like this. Well, when I read the book Well-Being and I thought about human flourishing, wouldn't it be nice if every human being could reach their full potential and thrive in all of those areas? So what SOAR is doing is, number one, we want to help you understand what your design is. What were you designed to do? What were you born to be? What are your talents and strengths? Secondly, and coaches can help unlock that, but then we want to help you aim your talents and your strengths and your gifts at thriving in all of those areas. So coaches will be coming on to SOAR in the coming months who are coaches in the financial wellness area or coaches in the health and wellness area, which we've talked with you about, and also in the relationship, social well-being Social relationships, as some of your guests have pointed out, are incredibly important mm -hmm. to life and to longevity. I was listening to one of your podcasts and I realized that the biblical phrase that says, honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land is literally scientifically true. If you have a close relationship with your parents, you'll live longer than if you have a dysfunctional relationship with your parents. So that's this ancient biblical wisdom, which science is now proving that if you have positive relationships, you will live longer and healthier. So you're talking about something that we often talk about, which is primary foods and secondary foods. And secondary foods are the foods that 
we actually put in our mouth. But what Trisha and I know and we realize is equally as important are the primary foods, which is our relationships, our careers, and all of those that we have to nourish all of those things that you're talking about. We can eat well, but if we're not in a loving community, if we're not in a family that loves each other, if we're not in that positive world that you're talking about, we can't flourish. And you know what's hard about trying to be all those things or do all those things and to really nourish your body, your spirit, your relationships, all those things, is that the world that we live in is pretty modern and pretty fast moving. And the corporate world is pretty capitalistic. Its mission for most corporations is to maximize shareholder return. It's to maximize the bottom line, the profitability of the company. And sometimes thousands of employees will get laid off because a company is trying to financially hit their quarterly numbers. There's a Stanford professor named Jeffrey Pfeffer who wrote a book last year called Dying for a Paycheck. And what he describes in that book is that capitalistic entities that have to hit quarterly numbers will often do these massive layoffs. You know what happens when thousands of people get laid off? Some people die early of a stroke or a heart attack who would not actually have died if they hadn't been laid off. Boardrooms ought to have someone with a conscience in the boardroom saying, you know, if we lay off these 5,000 people, seven people will probably die 10 or 20 years earlier than they would have otherwise. There's a human cost. And so I love the mission that you all have to help people increase their health and wellness. I think SOAR and many of your guests are all kind of on a shared mission to like approach different elements of what's going wrong and try to improve our workplace situations or our family situations or our education system. Our education system is kind of a factory model of standardized testing and standardized curriculum, and it doesn't necessarily identify or celebrate the individual talents of all these young children going through it because there's this pressure to conform and achieve these grades and get a college mm -hmm. acceptance, personalized learning, personalized strengths development, all those things I think will contribute to the overall well-being of the individual. And then, of course, to school systems and society at large. So our company is trying to be a thought leader or a thought contributor in the area of personalizing your life journey to your strengths and your talents and having your own individualized path to thriving. Five years from now, tell us what SOAR is. SOAR will enable the strengths movement, I think, to thrive globally through technology and through these coaches. We'll have hundreds of thousands of coaches, mentors, trainers, and facilitators on the SOAR platform. As you mentioned, Tricia, it is a platform. All of these amazing individuals who can improve your life or improve a team or improve a culture are joining SOAR. And then assessments that will help each individual or team understand how are we doing? How do we compare and can we improve in certain areas? And how can coaches help us to do that? There will be mobile apps. There will be voice. We really just want to bring the strength language and the strength lens to everyday life. In fact, Don Clifton had a beautiful metaphor that he invented in 1970. And Don was a World War II aviator. He was a decorated aviator and ran some very dangerous bombing missions in Europe. Don had seen some destruction in his military career. He wanted to build something that was constructive. And so one of the inventions he had was something called the bucket and the dipper. He said, every human being carries around a bucket and a dipper. And every interaction you have with another human being either fills their bucket or it empties it. Mm -hmm. So your positivity, Tricia, is probably filling a lot of people's buckets with your kindness and your positivity and your good words. But a lot of people have a lot of negativity and they empty other people's buckets through mm -hmm. all kinds of poor interactions. 
when I envision where strengths could go in terms of culture and spreading worldwide, I thought of this concept called H2O. Wouldn't it be nice if you had H2O to fill all of these buckets? Well, to me, H2O stands for human-to-human optimization. What if before you have any interaction with any person, your family, your team members, your guests, whatever, that you quickly review what their strengths are? Yeah, I think you do this already. You're admiring people's stories and their history. And so you're filling people's buckets and then the positive interviews that you record can go out and hopefully fill other people's buckets. But I think that H2O for me is what if I can't remember the strengths of my coworkers? What if I don't have a positive view of someone in the workplace? If I knew more about them and their accomplishments, their past successes, the contributions they've made, I would probably view them differently. There's a science experiment that was done in elementary school where teachers were told, hey, here are the students in your classroom this year. They're going to have a breakout year of growth this year. And the teachers were told, here's the names of these students. It turns out those very students had a much more advance that year than all the other students did. And it was a random sample. It wasn't that they had been tested in advance that proved that they were going to grow that year. It's that the teacher thought they were going to grow that year. And so they had their best year ever because the teacher believed in them. Mm. So having other people believe in us and see the best in us is actually a predictor that we will grow and become better. So we can become our best self and help others become their best self through this lens of strength. So SOAR wants to just enable that with mobile apps and voice and coaching all over the world just to spread this amazing thing that you've already found value in and so many other people have Mm -hmm. as well. And as you say, uplift humanity. Oh, thank you. You filled our bucket today. You two are so kind. I think about one of your guests as a recent new mom, and she talks about the joy of having this child. Well, I have four grandchildren now. When I see photos and when I get to visit with them, and you realize, you know, the world that they're growing up in is not all a bed of roses. But I think that we can all join forces in our own way to try to make the world a better place for them and to see their talent, their potential, and to help them thrive in their health so that they can realize the full potential. Thank you for having me on today. I love your work, and I'm just thrilled to be connected with both of you and the great things you're doing. Thank you for joining us on HealthGig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well.